0: We continue today the series on tested, coming from the passion of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Robert, for reminding us about that good word, Kesed, that beautiful word from the Hebrew Bible, God's loving kindness, His Kesed, His faithfulness to us. Because as I speak today about the test of betrayal, I'm talking about the opposite of Kesed, loyalty. You see is one of those virtues that practically everybody in the human family applauds. Now, I did find an exception. There is a culture, the native Papuan culture in New Guinea, that applauds treachery, deceit, scheming and trickery. And when the missionaries told them the story of Judas betraying Jesus they immediately made Judas the hero. As strange as that seems to us, the missionaries had to explain again to them that Jesus was the hero. I was in Papua for just a couple of weeks, a couple years ago, and I'm writing up some of my experiences with the Papuan culture and the people that I met there. And do you know that theme is still there? That theme of trickery and treachery being applauded by those native Papuans. In fact, there was an article in the paper yesterday in the Wall Street Journal about Michael Rockefeller's death in 1961. They now believe at the hands of the Papuans, the culture that at that time was cannibalistic. But that culture alone, of all the ones I'm acquainted with, celebrates disloyalty. Everybody else applauds loyalty. And when we talk about the test of betrayal, we're talking about that behavior, which is the opposite of loyalty to family, to friends, to company, to country, to Christ. Reflecting on loyalty and betrayal, I realized that all seven of the seven deadly sins prepare your heart for betrayal, pride, greed, lust, sloth, envy, anger, gluttony. These things run rampant in a person's life and in their heart actually are the seeds of betrayal and treason to our Lord and betrayal even to the things that you have embraced as valuable to you. Jesus was betrayed by Judas, perhaps the most famous betrayal in human history. Julius Caesar, the Roman emperor, was betrayed by his adopted son, Marcus Bruto. Hence, the famous word et tu, Brute, when Julius Caesar realized that this close friend and family member of his was part of the plot to assassinate him, the words, before he died. We celebrate loyalty in lots of ways in our culture. One of my favorite songs from all of animated uh, movies is the song that Wheezy sings after being rescued, uh, and it's, uh, You Got a Friend in Me. Did you ever hear that? You got a friend in me and our love will never die, he says. Well, I like you got a friend in me. In fact, it nearly won an Academy Award, and it celebrates the virtue of loyalty. Let's read about its opposite. I'm in Mark chapter 14 again. We're marching through Mark's account of the passion. This is right after... The message last week in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus wakes those sleepy disciples out of their sleep and says, rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. Now verse 43 of Mark 14, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Now, those last two sentences are a little curious, all right? You would admit that. Did they surprise you a little? Were you a little surprised? You don't really get any preparation for there's this young man dressed in a linen garment and he flees naked. And actually, there's no explanation afterward. There's just these two sentences about this young man in the garden. We didn't know he was there. We don't know why. We don't know who. I'm going to return to him in a week or two. I want to talk to you about the man that many people think is the young teenager, Mark, who follows the rabble into the garden where Jesus is arrested, and the man who wrote the book out of which I just read. We'll return to him in a little while. Betrayal, you see, is complex. Judas betrayed Jesus. He betrayed him with a kiss. Talk about a conflicted heart. Why a kiss for heaven's sake? Some people immediately say Judas loved the money, and we know that. And that's why he betrayed Jesus. It's simple. He wanted the 30 pieces of silver. Every time that Judas is portrayed in art, almost always he has money in his hands. And everybody assumes that's the reason, but you know what he did with those coins in his hands. After all this is over, he throws them into the temple. So the priest that gave those to him can have them back. And they cling and they rattle on the stones of the temple in Jerusalem and Judas turns his back, goes across the valley of Hinnom and hangs himself. Some people think that Benedict Arnold just wanted the 20,000 pounds that he said he would give, he would take for giving the British West Point. He was a general in George Washington's army. He had men under his authority, and he was in charge at West Point. His plot was discovered before he could deliver West Point to the British. And his contact in the British Army was captured by the colonials. Benedict Arnold himself escaped and, like the turncoat that he was, fought for the British. But was it simply the 20,000 pounds? Or had Benedict Arnold decided he was on the wrong side of history? Maybe this general for the Revolutionary Army began to think there's no way that a ragtag team of colonials can beat up the greatest military force on the face of the earth. This thing's going bad for us. Maybe that's what he was thinking. Aren't you glad you're not related to Benedict Arnold? I mean, really? Oh, my name is Benny Arnold. Wait a minute. I mean, his name is synonymous with treason everywhere in America and probably the Western world. If you look up a list of the greatest traitors that ever lived, Benedict Arnold will be in the list, along with Judas. Some people think that Judas, not just for the money, but for other reasons, turned his back on Jesus. He is Judas Iscariot. While lots of people think that Iscariot is a geographical designation, there is the other possibility that it is a reference to the Iscari, which is a small dagger that assassins among the Jews use to take out their Roman enemies. And that he was part of a radical group in Israel that wanted to overthrow Rome by force. You know that Jesus called somebody like that, Simon the Zealot. We just go right by the Zealot. We don't even pause. Simon the Zealot. Yeah, I wonder what that means. That means that he was over here in the radical fringe. He wanted to kill the Romans. He wanted to get rid of them. Maybe Judas was one of those. And after hearing all this about laying down your life, taking up your cross, self-denial, Jesus saying, I'm going to suffer and die, maybe Judas decided, you know what? That's the losing side of history. And he gave up on the message of love and took up the sword as the real power in the world. I don't know what happened to Judas, but I'll say this, with every traitor, every turncoat, there are layers of emotion and reasoning going on in the mind and heart. And even you, even you, When you step out of line, and you know it, you have rationales and explanations that you can give to people and give to yourself about why you did so. Judas kissed the Lord. It is a sign of affection. A traitor may have this seed in his heart. He may have affection without devotion. Judas, I think, was that way about Jesus. He had affection without devotion. Hey, that could be you or anybody in all the history of the Christian church, people who speak kindly of Jesus, who feel kindly toward him, who have an affection for him because he is a winsome personality and a wonderful human being. He said so many wonderful things, but They are not devoted to Jesus as Lord. Judas has connection without commitment. He's been part of the band all this time, but it's been working in him for a long time. And you can see as they give hints, particularly in the Gospel of Mark, about what's eaten on Judas, that he has lost his commitment to the direction Jesus is going. Sometimes that happens. Judas had position without submission. He was the treasurer of the group, but he was not really submissive to what Jesus was saying. See, Mary comes to Jesus with an expensive perfume and she pours the entire flask on his feet and the aroma of this expensive perfume fills the house it's an amazing act of love and worship and judas is upset this perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor he says john explains he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he cared about the money. Betrayal is complex. Not everybody keeps their commitments. It's the ugly truth. We all know it. Not everybody keeps their commitments. It's out there. Judas was one of the twelve. He was part of the inner circle. Jesus chose him. Jesus lost 8% of the inner circle when Judas betrayed him. Not everybody keeps their commitments. It's a disturbing thing for the rest of the apostles to realize there's a traitor among them. It disturbs us even now to think about a fellow like Judas who is that close to Jesus and turned his back on him and turned him over to the enemies. Part of the test of betrayal is not the temptation that comes to you to betray Jesus, but the temptation that comes to you to give up when your friend Betrays Jesus. It shakes you up. It's disturbing to the core. It makes you sick to your stomach. You wonder what's going on when somebody in the inner circle with Jesus, a Bible teacher or a deacon or a pastor, betrays the Lord turns his back on Christ, violates all the values he said that he held dear. It shakes you. And it happens over and over again. Don't you know those men that were under the command of Benedict Arnold, when they heard that he had fled and was on a British ship now? and about to join the British Army, don't you know that shook them up? Don't you know those colonials holding their muskets looked at one another and thought, have we lost our mind? Is it really that clear that we can't win this thing? What's happened? Our general is gone. Nothing more disturbing the church of jesus christ thus there is a book in your bible that is all about how you are to react when people that you know who have confessed christ stop following him it is the book of hebrews i recommend it to you it's 13 chapters long and it's all about how you stay steady how you stay straight how you go on and persevere when people you know and people you respect and people you love quit on Jesus. It was happening in that day. The Roman Empire had turned its sword against the church of Jesus Christ, and people were losing their jobs, losing their position, losing their property, losing their family. If they confessed that Jesus was Lord, Part of the puzzle for the early church was what do we do with these people when the affliction is past, when the persecution is gone and they want back in the church? These folks have said, no, I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't believe in Jesus. What are we going to do with them? In fact, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 6 describes people, and I think they're pretenders, my theory. There are lots of theories out there. He never uses the word faith to describe these people in this apostasy passage, a passage that we call an apostasy passage. But he describes these folks who have been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, who have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and then they turned away. And he says of them they seem to have committed a sin from which they cannot recover. And he says to the church that is still listening, that is reading his letter and trying to remain faithful, he says, but we are expecting better things of you and things that accompany salvation. He wrote the entire book to encourage people who are watching others fall away and telling them, you stay strong. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, it is through patience and faith that we inherit the promise. It's almost as if in the book of Hebrews that persevering and faith are one and the same. They go together. And if you don't stay there through the billowing sorrows and trouble of life, then probably you never really had the genuine faith to begin with. That's how I read the book. That's how I see it. So, you're in a big test. You've never had such deep sorrow. You've never been in such despair. You've never had such opposition before. You've been thinking about what you're supposed to do. Maybe you've been contemplating the possibility of giving it up and turning it over and going back to the life you lived before you knew Jesus. Here's the word Persevere. Stay the course, stay steady in fact he says in hebrews chapter 12 and dr alan jackson explained this so well look unto jesus he watched judas give him up he watched the rest of the disciples abandon him and flee look unto jesus the author and the finisher of your faith he started it he's going to complete it now For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And then he reminds them, you've not yet resisted unto blood in your striving against sin. So you keep your eye on Jesus in the middle of your test. The test of betrayal will come on you. Somebody you respect, maybe somebody you followed, somebody who taught you the scriptures. If they haven't already, they one day will. Walk away from Christ. And when it happens, it's going to shake you. And the call of God is, you stay steady. You stay strong. You take this test of betrayal and come out the victor. That's what faith is. Maybe you say, man, I've never struggled so much with my faith I've never had such a conflict in my heart I'll bet you you are right now experiencing the greatest faith you've ever had in your life you only thought that was faith back when all the times were good and all the answers were yes and everything went your way you only thought that was faith that was little bitty faith all right maybe but now in the test of trial in the time of temptation In the period of conflict, even with your struggle, you are displaying great faith in the face of severe trial. People walk away from their commitments. That's just the truth. And everybody is tempted. To betray the Lord you heard it right everybody is tempted when Jesus said the betrayers right here at the table the disciples began to say what Lord is it I is it I why would they do that why would Peter James or John say God is it I Lord, is it I, Jesus? Am I the one that's going to betray you? Because knowing themselves, they knew the seeds of betrayal were there in their own heart. Jesus himself was tempted to abandon the way of the Father. That's what the temptation in the wilderness is all about. Satan is saying to Jesus, there's another way. You don't have to go God's way. You don't have to follow the Father's plan. You can go right up to the top. You can be in charge of the planet. You're going to do so much good once you finally get there. Oh, man, you'll be in charge of the world. All you got to do is bow down and worship me, and you can have it. That was a temptation to abandon the Father's plan for him, and it was not the only time that such a thing happened. When Jesus announced on the road to Caesarea Philippi that he was going to suffer and die, it was Peter who voiced the feelings of the whole group when he said, this will never be. He took Jesus aside and said, this is never going to happen. And that's when Jesus said to Peter, what? Get behind me, Satan. I've seen that face before. I've heard that word before. Just another effort by the tempter to take the Lord Jesus off the path that he was committed to and his father gave him. Last week, we read that prayer, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. If the Lord himself can be tempted in this regard, if Judas can fall, if the other disciples can think that they themselves could be the betrayer, then everybody in the room is tempted to betray. In fact, if you think about it, in thought, in word, in emotion, in deed, in one way or another, we already have. Even people who are committed spiritually, are tempted to betray. I was in Cajamarca, Peru, when I heard about the gold room. Francisco Pizarro was the conquistador who came in there and captured the emperor of the Incan Empire, Atahualpa. Young Atahualpa, there in Cajamarca, was told by his captor, if you will fill this room this high with gold, I will let you go. That's what Pizarro said. And so, for the greatest ransom in the history of mankind, the Incans from far and near brought their gold until the room was full this high. And then the priests who accompanied Pizarro in his conquests baptized Atahualpa, and then he was strangled. And the Inca Empire fell to the Spanish conquerors. Somewhere in Pizarro's heart, there was a religious affection. But it did not prevent him from one of the great betrayals of all time. You know that Pizarro was killed later by a disaffected member of his group. Somehow his betrayal came back on him. You can be tempted to betray the Lord intellectually and morally. In fact, I would say to you that there is a moral dimension to every betrayal of Jesus. It's not just, I thought this thing through, and I've decided that I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. With Judas, there was this moral failure that so crushed his heart, he took his own life afterward. And I think that's the nature of betrayal. So often, how we betray the Lord is in the practical living out of our lives. It's the day-to-day stuff. It's the decisions we make. It's the tempter coming to us in a moment of weakness. Sometimes we get haughty and we think we're above any kind of problem like this. I learned when I was young from a preacher that the devil aims high. And he was telling me if the devil can bring down the pastor of a church, then he can shake that entire congregation. And I've always kept that in my mind. And deacons and Bible teachers, I want you to keep it in your mind too. When you hear about a pastor, somebody who was respected in the church who fell, you think, I've got to keep up my guard. I'm never at a point where I'm not vulnerable. I must consistently say no to t- temptation and protect my spirit and heart. Guard your heart with all diligence. Every one of you, no matter how long you've been in Christ. And it is moral failure. And maybe it was the moral failure of greed. Which leads eventually to the betrayal of Jesus as Lord. Eventually, having failed morally, we get to that point where we say, you know, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what Jesus wants me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And we have cast off the commitment to Christ, and betrayed our Lord. Betrayal is not final. I want you to get this, because there's somebody in this room who messed up really badly a long time ago. And I don't know who you are. You know who you are. And you sidelined yourself after that terrible, tragic failure. And you sat down on the sidelines of life and you said God can't use me anymore. I have failed too miserably I've gone too far and I'm just going to be a spectator from now on because God's grace just can't reach this distance and I want you to think about the prodigal son who took all of his living everything that the father had for him his whole inheritance and he left. And he spent it all in all kinds of illicit and awful ways until he was penniless again. And all that time that he was out there in the wild, the father was watching the horizon every day to see the gate, the posture of the son that he loved. And when that boy appeared on the horizon, father knew it was him and he ran somebody on this in this room needs to appear on the horizon of god's grace you have mistakenly assumed that you are beyond the pale of forgiveness that you will always have second class citizenship in the kingdom because of that failure and that's not God wants you back. He wants you fully with all your heart. You are a first class son. There are no second class citizens in the kingdom of God. You believe that there are no second class citizens. The ground is level at the cross. We are all forgiven sinners. His grace is greater than all our sin. Don't get down on yourself or give up on yourself. Come run to the God that loves you. Receive the forgiveness that Jesus died on the cross to deliver to you. That's why he died. Stop hanging your head and dragging your feet and being all beat up every day and beating yourself up. For the failures of the past, his grace is greater than that. His grace washes you, then stands you up tall, lifts your chin up, puts your eyes on the future, and says, let's go forward, daughter. Let's go forward, son. You are fully mine, and I am fully yours. (laughs) It's good news, isn't it? That's why we call it the gospel. It's good news. And it's never too late. It's never too late. I got a surprise in the mail today. Is Diane Villamaret here? There's Diane. She gives me the mail every day, day, and sometimes I have to go in and protest because there's just nothing good in there. And I say, the fault is with the person who had it last, Diane. (laughs) This week, she comes in. She says, I think you're going to like your mail today, Pastor. So I had a package, and in it was this book. And when I opened the book, this letter fell out. All right. The letter says, Dear Dr. Crosby, enclosed is a Bible that belongs to your church. Several years ago, I attended an auction of an estate of a Pennsylvania family Included in it were several artifacts that an ancestor had carried and used during the Civil War. One was the Bible that he had borrowed from your church while helping in the occupation of New Orleans. He survived the war and it stayed in his family until I bought it. I figure 150 years is a long enough loan, so I'm returning it to your church. I'm certain it blessed him and his family as it has blessed me. Here it is. Here it is. The Bible he bought at the auction. That a Union soldier, now our church building, it says First Baptist Church in New Orleans, Magazine and Second Street. That was the site of a makeshift hospital during the war between the states. Both wounded Union Soldiers and rebels were treated in that hospital. And when the war was over, I would not be surprised if the occupying force came to First Baptist Church where that hospital was. And maybe, you know, they took what they wanted. I don't know. But they took this book that was published in 1860, this Bible, and it has now come back to us 150 loan. Your loan is long enough. It's long enough, sister. God doesn't want you to hang your head and sorrow over your sin as a perpetual behavior of your life. Don't let the betrayal be final for you. Get your wind back Get the grace back. Appear on the horizon of God's vision today. And if you say, Here I am, He will say, Welcome home. Bow with me, please. Dear God, Lord, we confess that we have often failed and sometimes we felt like Judas thank you God though that in the midst of our failure you are the God who forgives with your loving kindness that is better than life thank you that all our sin is covered by the death of Christ upon the cross And, Lord, I pray that that daughter or son of yours that has stayed at arm's length for so long might come back to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.